by Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. This is the Say the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back, everybody, to the Say the Damn Score podcast. We have made it through 30-plus episodes, and we're ready for one more here. We are joined right now by the men's basketball play-by-play guy as well as baseball for Texas Tech, uh, Jeff Haxton. How are you doing here today? Good, Logan. How are you, man? Thanks for having me on. Pretty darn good. We just talked a little bit before we actually went on air. You've been living in a hotel since October after taking that uh, Texas Tech job um, after leaving Oral Roberts. You know, what is it like living in a hotel? I know you just got your family down there recently. I know that's not what you think about when you think of getting your big D1 job, but there's a lot to it. Yeah, there's a lot to it. No, no question. And uh, it was uh, it was really awful the first seventeen nights or so. Uh, the first place that I stayed really made me want to sack up and you know and go home and say, "Hey, this is this is not the place for me." But got out of that place, got into a new place, and that helped change my attitude a little bit. And by that time, I had adjusted and got to meet a few people. And so it was really difficult. Now that the family's here, even though it's a small place, it's gotten easier because you're back to a little bit of a routine. Uh, I've been a a family man going back as far as I can remember, and uh, with two kids very invested in them and their futures, and at times pretty much a stay-at-home dad that did play-by-play. That's the way it's been for me over the last eight years, really when my daughter was born. So now that the kids are back, a little bit of routine is a good thing. And you don't sit there by yourself and think about all the paths that can go all the different ways you have an objective to accomplish with your two kids. And, and so it's helped getting them down here and we're getting closer and closer to finding a place to stay in Lubbock that will be permanent. You know, I want to go back, and I'm sure you were being facetious a little bit, but you said those first 17 days you wanted to pack up and go home. Was there ever any serious thought about deciding to not take that job after what you had called in a couple interviews, basically a dream job? Yeah. There, there, I was. It's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but there were some of those thoughts that truly came through because, you know, I, I've done things a little bit, I guess, on a slower path, I spent 11 years at Oral Roberts. I did over a thousand games for the Golden Eagles, and then, you know, got to age 38 and decided to live out of the state of Oklahoma for the first time in my life. I'd had you know a couple of jobs here and there, and was born in uh, the southwestern part of the state. But every place that I'd been, five or six spots, all within the state of Oklahoma. So sitting in that awful place that I was in by myself and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from family and friends, it was a lonely place, and it was good to get through those first 17 nights. Once I broke through that barrier, then all those thoughts went away. So 
but there were there were some serious thoughts on my end about you know what have I done and uh, is this the right move and that sort of thing. But once you got closer and closer to basketball, got yourself in a, got myself in a better place, all that went away. So, what was your responsibility uh, with Texas Tech for? I mean, October through when basketball season started in, I believe, mid-November. Or correct me if I'm wrong on this, but what were your responsibilities in Lubbock before you actually started your season? Logan, really, I had no responsibilities that I needed to be in Lubbock for. I felt like I needed to be in Lubbock in early October to immerse myself in the culture and, more importantly, meet people meet people in the athletic department, and go to baseball and basketball and watch as much practice as possible to give myself a shot of doing this job the way that it needs to be done. So there were two or three different things that I was doing, uh, a show within the pregame show for football, the daily update that, that runs throughout the network. But those things can be done really anywhere. I mean, if you got an internet connection in Maine, you could be up there in a cabin and be doing those things that I was doing. But I think I really believed that I needed to show the people that had hired me how serious I was about doing this job, and so that's why I got down here so early. And then you know, started to again just immerse yourself in the culture and and dive in just as deep as you can go to prepare yourself for a big job that was coming up in basketball season. When in a new community and in a new culture like you were talking about, and I've been going through a little bit of this personally as well, it's not always the easiest to just go out and say, "Hey, I need to go make some friends." I'm thirty plus years old. How do how do I do it? How have you immersed yourself in the culture, both socially, uh, personally, and professionally in Lubbock? The social aspect is is a tricky one because, as you have probably found out, and and I really found out, hey, most of the people that you are working with, um, you're not directly working with because, you know, in my case, I'm working for. Learfield at Texas Tech. So it's not like I'm reporting to the office every day. You don't have those luncheons every day that you might go through your inner departments. And then once the sun sets and once you get through and the workday is over, almost everyone that you have your relationships with have lives. In other words, they have their social interests. They have their kids. They have their church. They have whatever it is. When the sun goes down, they've got their own thing going on, usually. So that social aspect, as far as interacting with people that you're going to be in contact with, is a tricky one. And I think that's the one that takes the most time. You know, to earn people's trust, you you are the new guy, which just makes it not that easy to just to roll in and say, here I am, everybody love me, that is a tough thing. You now you do your best and, and the one the way you do your best is you show up to practice and you sit there and you sit there really quietly and you might just get a head nod and you might just, you know, a handshake and and hey there's so and so and you just try to again, but you're there and everyone sees that you're there. When they see you're there, they see how serious you are about the product and making the product what it needs to be. So 
those are things right there that you can do. Uh, every other kind of athletic event. I went to volleyball, uh, soccer. Obviously, the football was rolling. That's an easy one to go to. So when you go to those places, dress nice, introduce yourself, sit down at the media tables and eat with people. And it's not. It's just not that something that, for me, occurs easily. I have to, you know, not force it, but really tell myself, hey, you've got to go do this. You need to go meet these people and do the best you can to work your way in. Because, man, I've heard people say it's only play-by-play, right? And and that kind of drives me crazy because if there is, if it's just play-by-play, then I don't think you're doing your job the way it needs to be done. And so where the, the more comes in is going to those games, going to functions, and really just showing people that, hey, uh, this is important to me, and I'm going to do everything that I can on my end for you and the product that we're going to put out. So usually I start off the conversation with this question, but we got into some different stuff right away. But what was your first break into sports casting, whether that was out of high school or out of college? What was your first job, and what breaks or what hoops did you have to jump through to get it? Well, at the very, very crumb, uh, crumbs of the foundation down at the very, very bottom, the first thing that I did was keep stats for a Class A and Class B uh, basketball broadcast on a country station in Stillwater, Oklahoma. So there were these two gentlemen that I knew they were going to be a part of a radio broadcast, knew them a little bit. Uh, I think I was, gosh you know, 17, 18 years old, and I just rolled in with a notebook and said, here I am, opened it up, and kept as many stats, fouls, points, and runs, and fed these guys information as much as I possibly could. Well, you know, again, not going to make a dime, but all of a sudden, the guy that was doing color is sick. Hey, do you want to put the headset on? Sure, that sort of thing. That's how the the whole thing got going for me, and then eventually, after a horribly failed college baseball career, uh, got serious about it uh, at Oklahoma State, getting into the broadcasting aspect, and got to cut some, just cut some tapes. And the first time I heard my voice on tape, I said, "My goodness, I've found what I want to do," and I thought I was great. Uh, when really, all those things you do at a very early age are pretty horrible. And and just having a few guys, Bill Teagans at Channel 9, former voice of Oklahoma State, he was the first one that listened to my tape and really gave me hope while at the same time saying, boy, son, you've got a long ways to go. Out of college, I had two job offers in one, in one day, uh, but uh, it's several months after I'd graduated, this is back in 2001, I had a job offer at KTGR in Columbia, Missouri, and a job offer then later on that afternoon at KNID in Enid, Oklahoma. Well, the KTGR job was probably a little bit better, but the one in Enid was closer to my future wife, all of my friends and family, and paid more. And it was a ground that, even though I went there as a news director, all I did was play-by-play, really. it was a, The news director was a front to be play-by-play. And so... I hammered at my craft in Enid and really learned how to do play-by-play there with Chad McKee, who's uh, the uh, face of the Sooner TV network, and then spent five years there and just 
so so that the the breaks were you know doing doing stats getting in uh, meeting some incredible people in college uh, taking a, a chance on a, a do you know a, a crazy job that might not turn out to be anything in Enid and then the real <laughs> the real big jumps are the the ones that I've had to make where you throw your financial situation into complete peril and say, you know what, though? Hey, even though this is scary looking at it with your numbers, you get to go be a Division One play-by-play announcer in Tulsa, Oklahoma at Oral Roberts. Uh, took that jump and, man, did it pay off. And then now getting to where, you know, you've really been able to round out your craft. And, and, and again, if you do over a 1,000 games at ORU and, and travel in the Summit League and Put your plate, put yourself in places where you have now done pretty much everything, and then get to another challenge. Now it just keeps getting better and better, and so that's now a long story to tell you how I got to Texas Tech here now with uh, you know a couple games in in sixteen seventeen. I want to go back to a couple different things that we talked about. The first one was adjusting your lifestyle making more money in Eden, Oklahoma, and having to take a pay cut to be a D1 broadcaster. Usually you think that's the other way around, that once you get to that point, you should be making more. And I don't want you to get in any specific numbers or anything. But what did you have to do to adjust your lifestyle to make that work with a family? At that point, it was my wife and I. And again, when you so you're talking now, I mean... Gosh, I was, you know, mid twenties, which was my goal. I wanted to be a Division One play-by-play announcer by the time I was twenty-five. Well, I got it at twenty-six, and so in in Enid, especially now with an eight and a five-year-old, when you're when you're sitting in Enid, Oklahoma, and a Division One job is open, it became pretty clear to us, my wife and I, that yeah, we've got to go that way. We've got to make that jump. No matter how it looks immediately in your books, you, we've got to make that trip. And, Logan, the, the best thing that I can say for your overall outlook is you have to have ultimate co- confidence in your abilities. When you have the ultimate confidence in your abilities, you know that wherever you go, if it's that next step, and there might be a, a deficit you're facing financially, I had enough confidence in myself it's even more so now, but at age 26, I had enough confidence and, and enough personal drive to say, you know what, I'm going to go over there. I may, I may suffer for a little while. My wife and I may suffer for a little while, but my talent will bring out other things. That We're going there for this job, which was I left the news director position for baseball, and women's basketball, not even the men's, baseball and women's basketball at ORU. I knew, though, in my mind, if Mark Neely leaves, I'm going to get that job, and then I'm going to be the men's guy. Well, Mark left in two years, and bang, I was there, and got to do the NCAA tournaments, uh, even the years that Mark was doing the games. So in that one year, I had girls and boys basketball at the Class B and A level in northwestern Oklahoma in November, and in March, I was doing ORU Memphis and American Airlines 
arena in, in Dallas. So again, that you put your put that kind of faith in yourself, and I really think only good things can happen. But you must, I think, have that confidence deep down. If you don't have that confidence, there's nothing wrong with staying where you're at. When I look back now and wanted to get out so badly in Enid from that news director position where all I got to do was play-by-play, I really didn't know what I had, which was a terrific job. So there's there's all kinds of ways to look at it. If you don't have that supreme confidence at the, at whatever moment, then there's nothing wrong with staying and continuing to, to hammer at your craft. And I think that's important. But you'll know. I think you'll know there, there was a there was a clock ticking in me and Enid that got me out of there, and my clock really started ticking the last eight months while I was in Tulsa, that it was time to take that next step and that next challenge. And once I really put myself into it and really tried to get myself attractive to employers, once I made that effort, then things started to really pop, and I'll be darned, here we are in the Big 12. So staying there for 11 years, and I'm assuming that after two, when you got that men's job, that maybe your financial situation got better. Otherwise, you know, what did you do to supplement that uh, throughout your your stint there? It was really cool for me because I get over there, and there were a couple of D-League fill-in op- uh, opportunities. Well, I jumped all over those. Those D-League fill-in opportunities were on the station that was expanding its sports talk lineup. So then all of a sudden I'm getting a a call or two to fill in uh, for the midday show on the local station in Tulsa. And then all of a sudden sudden you get to a point now where you've, you've done ORU Memphis in the NCAA tournament on the men's side the baseball team wins the regional and goes to the super regional as a couple breaks away from going to Omaha. And I'll be darned as soon as the baseball season ended, I had my own sports talk show. And this was a really scary thing because at age 26, I'd done zero sports talk. Just that fill-in as I'd moved over to Tulsa. So Again, that's that's what I'm talking about with that first faith-based move in in your abilities. As soon as that last out was made in baseball, a couple of weeks later, we opened up a brand-new sports talk show. And I had that for three and a half years, Logan, and that was a good time. That was a pretty time for me because I don't want to list everything that I was doing, but it, it was uh, approaching about ten different things, Okay. Then, in 2008, I get fired from my sports talk position, and all of a sudden, those things just start falling to the wayside to where I hit my head on every rung down the ladder to go back to all that was left for me was ORU men's basketball, women's basketball, and baseball. And at that point, my daughter, as soon as she was born, I got fired. And then I lost this job, and then I lost the next job, and then I lost the next job. So at one point, I was mowing roughs and fairways and watering greens at a local country club in the summers. So when the baseball would end, I felt I needed to find something, anything, to keep my dream alive and to find ways to put 
money in the bank, and it just so happened that this place offered free daycare while I worked. So I would take my infant daughter and put her in the daycare and then go sit on a tractor in 110-degree heat, um, mowing and, and, again, taking care of greens. I did that for three summers. One summer, I went back to Enid. This was right before my son was born, and worked news again. Now, Enid's two hours from where I'm living in the Tulsa area, but that was a good job, and I had to find something in the summers. So I've done a little bit of everything to keep this heartbeat alive of this career, and you know, by telling you that I was, you know, again, traveling however long and, and working on the golf course, and that shows you, I think, how important it was to me to keep this thing alive, because there for a while it was, it was not pretty. Did you ever question yourself of whether you were good enough? You said you had to have that supreme confidence, and it sounds like certainly you do, but were there ever weak moments when you were going through getting fired and when you were riding on that tractor where you just looked at yourself in the mirror when you got back and you're just like, what the hell am I doing? Oh, my gosh, yes. Absolutely. And I don't think you're you're a human being if you don't. I, I, you know, here's here's the thing. I don't think I ever qu- questioned my abilities. Uh, I've, uh, ever since I've started this thing, again, I, I'm not trying to sound braggadocious on this deal. Okay, there's not very many things on earth that I do well, uh, but I consider this to be one of them. Okay, so everything else, you know, I I mean, I'm not. I, I try to be a good dad, and and I try to be a good broadcaster, and everything else, you know, I'm gonna be okay at times, but but I have I do have a lot of confidence in my personal abilities to do anything that's thrown at me with this broadcast game. So I think deep down I always had confidence in myself, but that really didn't mean anything. When you get to the summers and your work is gone, you know, that. and then, again, you bring in the family aspect. All of a sudden now my wife has this terrific job, and this terrific job is very specific. In other words, if you do, you're thinking, okay, hey, I've got this this gig here, but it's only from November to June. Okay, so that's pretty good, but could be a lot better. My wife is doing fantastic and can really only do it in Tulsa. So the the, the line of questioning yourself is massive, and it goes in circles and circles and circles. You start to think to yourself, okay, you're pretty good at this. We need to get better. But even if you do get that job, that that opportunity, you're not going to leave it. You're not going to leave this town because your wife can't do what she does anywhere else. So then you start to kind of groove yourself into a comfort zone, and you say, "Okay, now this next summer, I'm going to pick up a better job. I'm going to get a work. I'm going to get work at a television station. Well, they're shrinking. Uh, I'm going to get any kind of broadcast. You know, we're going to do a voiceover work, which I've actually started now. This has been a great supplement, being able to." be a, 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 a fake DJ. It's a long story, but it's a pretty cool side gig. But that wasn't around back when I was doing all this and toiling in the summers. So I had, again, I think deep down in my soul, I knew my abilities were there, but I was comfortable at ORU and, and really scared to jump out of the, the comfort zone. And Never really. I, I didn't know. I I didn't know if that next step was ever going to come. And I, I'm I'm so thankful that we have again taken these risks upon ourselves 
to make this next step because taking it to this level has opened me up even further and taken the lid off things, so to speak. And now we're growing again, working harder than you've ever worked because you have to. I've, I've figured out real quick that, hey, what you were doing in the past, you're going to have to step it up a notch. And that's been fun. That's been a lot of enjoyment for me to say, hey, all right, now we're going to take it even to the next highest level. That's a lot of talking there for your question, but I think it's an important one because this this thing that we've all chosen to do, my gosh, I mean, it's it's not easy. Yeah, we might be completely crazy, but um, I know a little bit of your story on how you ended up uh, at Texas Tech, but I need a lot of blanks filled in just reading some of the stuff from John Chalesnik on SDAA, but you were up for the job in Toledo, and you were very close to getting it, and that led to getting the Texas Tech job, I believe, if I read this correctly. Give us that story, what it was like being oh so close to getting that next step at Toledo, and then how quickly things turned around and how that maybe rejection was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's a story that... It took a long time to develop. Okay, I was talking about comfort zones, and uh, and and I think you know the comfort zones and and knowing what my wife had the, put me in a position, Logan, where I I didn't go after a job for a seven year span. Now locally, I you know, dabble here and there. After getting fired, oh, I'd like to work at this radio station. Maybe I can get in over here, but really they're not hiring that sort of thing. But going out of Tulsa, outside of, I didn't apply for a job for seven years. And then I got to a point where the travel in a summit league, after doing it, and I won't bore you just how, how difficult it is, but there was a five-year span where we would leave on a Wednesday and get back on Tuesday afternoon. So you're gone most of a week, every other week. And that was when I had young, young, young kids. And uh, we'd go to places and then go to the next stop and then go back to where you were with the women and come home. And then uh, a couple of years in the Southland that did, we thought was going to be easier, but was almost just as hard, just with warmer weather. And then back to the Summit League. And the travel had really beaten me so far down. Uh, and I was gone so many nights. And on that campus, Logan, I was the only one that traveled like I did. Because once basketball season ended, well, basketball is not, I mean, they're, they're done traveling. But for me, for instance, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you back to where you were wanting me to go, I promise. But I, I would get off of a bus from Sioux Falls, South Dakota in Tulsa and jump on a bus for Auburn, Alabama the next day for baseball. And then that's a 10-day road trip. So the travel had beat me down so much that I finally got to a point that I said, I've, I've either got to find another way or I've got to hang this thing up. And with all those dues that I've paid, I just could not see hanging it up. It, it, it frightened me. It, it just made me ill to think about flushing all of the dues that I paid on those roads and in those planes and in those buses. 
So then it, it just struck me that, hey, you got to find something else or you're not going to make it. So I got myself going in a, in a positive direction, and, and STAA was a huge help because through STAA I was able to make my resume, my, my online profile really sparkle for the first time ever. It was the first time I put any effort into it. I, I made sure to get the best stuff that I had from football, basketball, and baseball on there. I polished up my references, added things that, and, did, and took away things to my resume that needed to be there. And then all of a sudden these jobs co-open, and really I wasn't qualified, which was very disturbing to me. Uh, you know, jobs like Montana and Colorado State and Toledo, with the qualifications that were on there, I was, I was really not supposed to apply for these jobs. So I called John Chelesnick directly and listened, said, listen, and it, all of my calls that I'm, you know, upset and, and ready to get after somebody seemed to be at the airport. And I said, look, I'm 37 at that point. It's like, if I can't apply for these jobs, what is my next step? And he goes, no, 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 you need to apply. You've been doing this for a long, you need to apply. So I apply. And I make the top ten for this and the top five for that. And next thing I know, I'm in a, a Skype interview uh, with Toledo and the athletic department, who were just top. I mean, they were terrific professionals, and easy to talk to, and that whole process went very well. And I thought I nailed everything that I needed to nail, and I found out that you know, I finished second place. And um, Tom Bowman from Learfield gave me that call personally, so I knew that if Tom Bowman's picking up the phone to call me to tell me I finished second for a job, there's probably some hope for me down the road and that that i think i had probably made an impression on him and hopefully the people at learfield and i think it turns out that i did that another step that i made was you know doing the conference in north carolina and i made that decision in a parking lot in macomb illinois uh upset with my current situation i said i've got to do something for me so i invested in myself which i never do hardly you know uh ran that credit card and said I'm going, and drove myself to North Carolina, standing there with Tom Bowman and Howard Dinneroff, and in front of them, meeting them face-to-face. I was standing right there with you, as a matter of fact, as we were talking to those guys, which was really cool. And it was those things. Bottom line, Logan, it was me finally getting off my rear end and putting the effort into advancement that must be there because I never had that drive until all of a sudden that lightning bolt hit. And once I got that message across to myself, then I was able to kind of take the lid off and have some success, I think, in the job-pursuing market, as, as we see with, with Texas Tech. And, and again, that's a long story, because you know, Brian Haney takes the KU job. I'm thinking you know, there have been hints dropped. Uh, I might have a chance here. Uh, to get this tech job, then they're going to hire locally, so it's completely dead. Then the local option says he can't do it; it's back alive. Uh, next, like the two days later, on an airplane, uh, come out here to interview in front of what seemed to be the entire athletic department. I was really vetted hard out here. Um, some of it went unbelievable. Some of it went unbelievably bad. And then uh, get back on the jet and go back. I had no clue. And then they, they called me pretty quick and said, you're our guy. And um, it didn't take long after that to say, we're coming. We're going to have to bill John for that glowing review, first things first. But 
As we go forward, I read a story about your interview and some of the things that went wrong. And you lost your luggage on the way down there and didn't have anything to wear. How did you end up looking professional for that interview without any baggage? I think the the honest answer is I didn't because we were fairly late getting into Lubbock. So all the places that you would go, uh, I I don't know how I'd have gotten there. I mean, I, I haven't, I have a couple of these, you know, these taxi services, but I guess I could have, you know, called a real cab and and jumped to a place. But all the, you know, the nice places were closed. But on our way by to the hotel, I noticed there was a Walmart, and you know there was no shuttle service or anything like that. So I walked a mile to the Walmart, and the the property manager for Learfield cut an email saying sorry for all of the difficulty or what. And he was like, oh, I don't even know if Jeff made it or not. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 I'm here, but I don't have anything. I mean, I just don't have anything at all. So he was like, okay, I go, can can we not buy a sport coat? Because I'm going to be honest with you, I'm you know I'm never going to wear this sport coat again if I buy one. He's like, no, 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 don't buy that. So I had these baggy, awful uh, slacks. I wore my black tennis shoes with the slacks and bought a nine dollar button up dress shirt and rolled with it that way and just did the best I could. Really, it turned out to be kind of a conversation starter, but it was interesting sitting face-to-face with Kirby Hocutt, who's the chair of the college football playoff committee, and looking him eye-to-eye and saying, you know, I got a $9 shirt on and these slacks and tennis shoes interviewing for the biggest uh, opportunity that I've ever had in my life. Uh, But it ended up kind of being a chuckle as we went and bounced from place to place uh, because I, I, I had it all set up. You know, I had my suit and my cool kind of red and black tie, you know, that sort of thing. And was going to to be as sharp as I possibly can be, which is really difficult. But um, yeah, it, it it was it was it, there were a lot of things that I think were you know, hey, well maybe you shouldn't come down here, that sort of thing. And we just continue to fight through all that, and and I'm, I'm really happy we did. And it even goes back to those first seventeen nights, you know, fighting through that because it's pretty apparent that uh, this is where we're supposed to be. So what was your Welcome to the Big 12 moment. You said you're just a couple games in. What has been the biggest difference? Obviously, a game is a game. There's not a whole lot of difference in calling a high school game from calling a Big 12 game, but is there anything small that has been noticeable for you? Well, here's the thing that's been, I think, the most enjoyable for me is just the amount of resources. When you look at what I did at Oral Roberts, I did everything, and that that was from, I mean, no color guy, you're on your own. Uh, It goes as far as I was gathering the commercials from our advertisers, so the pizza joint down the street, they're going to have, they're going to have some, uh, they're going to have some spots run on the ORU broadcast. Well, I had to get that spot from them or create the spot from them, create the logs, install the bumps, do the imaging for opens, closes, IDs, uh, and, 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 and various show parts, set it up, tear it down, call it play-by-play color, keep your running score, keep your numbers. Uh, all of that was me, and then that extended into baseball as well. I mean, you might have a guess, but I'm 99.9% everything. 
at ORU was on my shoulders. Well, now you, you, you turn the page to this. We have a company like Learfield, and it just everywhere you go, everywhere you turn, there's somebody that has, has your back. They, they have something done for you. Boy, the, the, the package imaging the place in the pre- and the post-game show sounds great. Uh, that producer-engineer, even though he might be a kid, he's pretty brilliant, and he puts you in a position to where you you sound good. Having equipment that stays on the air, not not having to not having to call the basket and look down to make sure that you're on the air, and then turn the other way, basket's good, look down, see if you're on the air. Um, the sound that they help you create has been so fun for me because there's a point where you prepare as much as you can. This is, again, we're early on in this thing, but what I've noticed is you prepare as much as you can. You'd be rock solid in your preparation. And then when you're there, you've done this thing for a long time. I feel uh, so confident when I sit down for Texas Tech against seventh-ranked West Virginia because I've seen most of all of it. I'm not surprised by anything really anymore. So you, you, you you do have a few of those butterflies before you start, but once you get going, it's basketball, and it's a basketball broadcast, and there are people everywhere from... Our sports information director, Matt Dunaway, is tremendous. Chris Lovell, my color guy. Zach LaCure, my producer engineer back at Jeff City. And then the names keep going that are, that are all a part of this broadcast game, that are employed because of what we're putting out. That's cool, man. And when you have that kind of support structure, it makes you sound better. I've really enjoyed that. That was my eye-opening thing. And then playing a game in Ames, Iowa, and you tip off at 5 o'clock and you're back in your home city at 10.30 p.m., I mean, that, that's that's just stupid crazy for me. I, I can't wrap my mind around that still because in previous years, you play the game, you go to the hotel, you get up and you either bus or you go to O'Hare, you go to Tulsa International, whatever you do, and you connect in Dallas or you connect in Kansas City, wherever you're going, and then you finally get home. So to throw the ball up at 5 and get home at 10.30 from Ames to Lubbock, I still can't wrap my mind around that, and I'm still just in awe. And I'll be honest, one of the, the top reason I took the job is for the travel. So the travel and the support structure are the things that I have just been blown away by in the transition from ORU to, uh, to Texas Tech. So what is the travel arrangements? Are you on all chartered jets? What's it like on those planes? Lift up the curtains for those of us uh, in South Dakota or in the middle of nowhere calling high school games still. Well, I, I had an exit row all to myself from Lubbock to Cancun. Three seats. I, mean, I couldn't believe it. Uh, that was my that that was my aha moment, Logan. Right there, when we're in a straight shot from Lubbock to Cancun, and I've got a, 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 an exit row all to myself. Uh, I'll have to be honest, I kind of sat back and said, I've made it <laughs> right then. But then I got down to Cancun and had uh, food poisoning and almost died, it felt like, and, and don't remember the Auburn game because I was just so sick. Uh, so that turned around and got me pretty quickly. But uh, Texas Tech has... 
for the trips where they bring a lot of fans and supporters and boosters, they have a very large, I'd say almost, a, it might be a, a 737. I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything about planes and their stru- how they're structured, but a big jet. And uh, we've taken that jet to Cancun and to Richmond, Virginia. And then they scale it back for the Ames and Stillwater, I think Waco, Fort Worth. They scale it back to a 30-seat jet, but it's a it's a fairly good-sized jet that has incredible legroom. I, I said, again, I, I know people are probably tired of this. I can't believe this shtick that I have, but it's not a shtick. I mean, again, if you've done one thing 11 years, and that thing is bus and airplane and, 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 and going through all of the steps, and then when you, you get to do this, when you when you roll up and you put your bags in a carrier, or, or just take your bags inside and they grab them for you and put them on the plane, and then you walk out and you just you know, kind of you know show them your ID and they check you and you get on the plane right up the walkway and then zoom you're gone. Uh, that that's again that's that's an eye opening, wow moment type thing for me. And so uh, yeah, these these jets they get up and go and and uh, the, uh, Texas Tech's players are really benefiting from the nutrition they eat very well and um there's there's never a lack for calories around basketball and i'm sure baseball for these young guys who are expending all of those calories that gets dangerous for guys like you and me where we're not uh we're not burning anything like they are so you got to watch the constant snacks and and the food a little bit but um that's, a, that's just a little bit about what the um the charter jet is like and for basketball they'll charter everywhere and i came into this thing through that career at oru with two charter flights so um i've passed that number already here at texas tech (laughs) that does sound pretty excellent um food poisoning in cancun that sounds like a story there i'm just gonna shut up and let you go well there wasn't a whole lot of time. I mean, you got down there, and you had one night, and then you had a, a day of no basketball. And then the next day brought the basketball. Well, that middle day there, uh, I start to go downhill rapidly. And next thing you know, man, it's it's bad news. And I just went to – I didn't go off the campus of the uh, extremely nice um, plush – all-inclusive resort didn't didn't stray into any weird places. Uh, just got involved with something that didn't like me at all, and so then you know you're you're kind of I I just felt most of my time was spent in the fetal position, uh, kind of maybe hoping for death, and I the the hard part was. You know, getting up that next day. Now you got a day of a game, and those guys—they're ready to go. I mean, this is, I think, a, you know, the third or fourth game of the year. Got a new coaching staff that's really upbeat. Um, a, a game with Auburn coming up, and so it's kind of an all-day affair, you know, to go and get your interviews. And I remember sitting in that lobby, waiting on whoever I needed to interview, just you know, just sweating profusely and and trying to keep from falling out of the chair. And then, you know, getting those interviews done and getting, you know, those, those resorts are so spread out. So it was a long walk from your room 
to the ballroom where the action was happening. And again, it's, you know, it's 85 degrees out there, not exactly conducive. Uh, if you're in the the, the food poisoning uh, place that I was in, so just kind of I, I had to, to pick my spots to where I all right, okay, well now I got I got to go hard and fight through this, or these games aren't going to get on the air. And again, I I st- I've got hey I've got a long way to go here to to prove myself. I'm not proving anything. Uh, I've proven that I can jump in and and call some games, but this will be a long time for me to prove myself in this role. And so I can't not show up. You know, I've only had two sick days in my life, too. I'm going to fight through this thing, basically what you have to tell yourself. I got I had my wisdom teeth cut out in Enid when I was 26, and my, my face bled for a week, and uh, I couldn't call the high school basketball games the two days after I had my wisdom teeth cut out but those were my sick days but i got back to this now and and just had to fight through it because again i really didn't know what i was going to say once i got on and there's a lot about a lot of challenges that are added to the broadcast with your amount of readers and sponsored segments you have to be very sharp with those things going on and i just remember there they had these shirts these these cool i mean they're cool the, the fishing Shirts with the uh, the kind of that fishing material, it's a button-up collared shirt with the uh, Raider Red logo and the and the old double T logo on them. I thought they were the coolest things in the world, but they're that fishing shirt material. So I just sweat through it, and don't. I was sitting there, kind of in the stands ish. I'm sure just everyone's repulsed by my current standing. But I couldn't help it. I was just, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to sweat. I'm going to do the best I can talk through it. Although I don't remember a single thing about that Auburn game. Um, the next day, it got better, but still not pretty. So that's what happened to me in Cancun. I was ready to get home after that one, Logan. In my previous position, I can relate to a lot of the things you said about the long bus rides and the equipment deciding not to work at weird times. What are some of the other broadcast horror stories that you have gone through on your time on the bus with your equipment breaking down or just other weird things that happen throughout the the uh, occurrence of being a sportscaster? How far do you want me to go back? As far as you want. I just want best stories. I don't care where they're from. Okay. Well, there's going to be a couple that stand out, and if you want, more I, I've got so many it's just ridiculous I'm just trying to I'm trying to get a l- locked and loaded here on what I want to deliver uh, when I was in Enid we did phone line stretches from the back wall of the gym so it would have been all these gyms a lot of them you know had three or four rows but this is Burlington Oklahoma way northwest and we went out there for a game of the week and I think this was the one right after I had my wisdom teeth cut out and I finally got up there to do. Um, there was you know, these old school windows, and there's you know, these are rock buildings. And so the, the phone lines weren't working. So we went up to the top, raised the window. Of course, it's, you know, it's February. I was just freezing outside, north winds coming into the gym. We took the longest phone line we could find, stretched it out the back of the window, across the gravel road 
and into a house across the street. They allowed us to pirate their line, and we called the Enid to do the game. We did a game from a deer stand in uh, Alex, Oklahoma, to where our, our we get there, and you can call as much as you want, but a lot of these small-town places, they don't want the visiting and they're not even really visiting radio. It's a game of the week, but they don't want anybody from the Enid area, if it's an Enid area school, coming down to their little school in, say, southwestern Oklahoma, which is where we were. So we did a game from a deer stand. We went all the way out to Watts, Oklahoma, and strung a, a line from the press box up a hill into a house again and did a Class C playoff game that way where when you kicked an extra point or a field goal the ball would go into a gully and ping pong around down there all the way to the bottom of the creek they have to go fetch the football and bring it back up um and those kind of things again they could just continue on and on and on uh, in cherokee oklahoma stretching from the press box at the 50 yard line all the way down the track tucking it against the track around the bend keep going, go to around to the back edge of the football facility, hook in, only to have someone slam the back door and sever your line, and then you're straight to cell phones. At ORU, I did the entire ORU Pacific basketball game at Pacific with the cell phone to my head uh, because of every, I mean, everything you can imagine went wrong. And next thing you know, hey, if you want to get this game on the radio, well, the way you're going to have to do it is you're going to have to put the phone to your ear, your own phone, and scream into that thing until you know, you're know you almost sick headed home because you've been screaming for two hours. Uh, one of my favorite ones was in Cedar City, Utah, back when Southern Utah had baseball. Chain-link fence. The, the wind chill was never above 42, even in May. You're sitting there in Cedar City, and you look out, and the mountains are covered in snow. And you're behind home plate with no block, and that thing, that wind spins around those mountains and hits you right in the face. I mean, it's really, I can feel it right now. And you can you can layer up it; it it doesn't matter. But the behind home plate on that chain league fence is a outlet and a phone line for you to plug into. And then so the fans would all kind of be just really interested in what this guy from Tulsa was saying. So they would start to edge up as the games would go along. We're talking four games on a weekend in, in Cedar City. And you'd look around, next thing you know, there's hardly any room. I mean, these guys, and it's freezing, so everybody's trying to get together. There was a lady changing her son's diaper on my broadcast table to my right. That one... That one will stand out for a long time, where you're calling balls and strikes, and Junior's having his drawers changed over here on your broadcast table. Uh, Cedar City made me walk away from that place, dragging my equipment behind me, cursing, kicking rocks, throwing rocks down the road, you know, just in anger. Just you, you would literally, again, I'm not a crazy cursor, but once you got through with a doubleheader in that weather, and you're frozen solid, all it made me want to do was just walk away from there cursing as loud as I could. Because it's just, it puts you in a position where it was almost torture. You can't move because you're tied down. You have no shelter. And 
you know, you're just so miserable after that, and then you've got diaper changes happening on your your table. Not a lot of fun. That baseball in the Summit League before South Dakota State had its press box now, uh, they gave us a tent by the first base dugout, and through one baseball game, we had rain, sleet, and snow. Temperature was around, you know, 33, 34 degrees. Where's that facing? That tent is facing straight north. So your book is ruined. I've got clothes covering up my equipment so it doesn't ruin. Uh, you're, you're on a pallet calling baseball in 30-degree wind chills. That wind's just wearing it. You're wearing it right in the face. And, and some of those summer league baseball stories and how we got those games on the air, I, it, I don't know. I mean, you... You've got to be a little bit of a magician. You really do, and it prepares you for it. Again, I, I'm thinking now, it's like, hey, I, I've seen it all, man. I've I've been able to, with a uh, uh, largely successful rate, get everything on the air somehow, some way. You're ready for all of it. So those are a few of them, Logan. I hope those are okay. You, They were great, although saying 42-degree wind chill is not going to get a lot of sympathy from people here not far from South Dakota State. Actually, we're in the the uh, flagship station of the University of South Dakota. It is negative 11 out right now. So <laughs> 42 would be well, a you're not wave. playing. But here's the thing, too, is you're not playing baseball right now either. Oh, so, we call football it, during this, when it's April, When it's April <laughs> and it's a 32-degree wind chill, and you're from Oklahoma where back home at that point it's probably a good 75 degrees, that angers you some. Fair enough. Um, you mentioned hammering your craft and really working hard to get better. What did you do to get better at what you do at doing play-by-play? For me, it's just about repetition. So it's, it starts with me uh, with with repetition. Baseball and basketball is what I have the most of. And so, therefore, I, I know I'm behind in football as far as my skill level. Uh so I do my best, you know, you, uh, you probably get, I probably end up getting 10 football calls a year. Well, it's a lot different with basketball. There's a lot more basketball to call. And then you get to your spring and summer months, man, that's a lot of baseball. You're going to get all kinds of reps. So I'm lagging, I'm, I'm lacking with my, my overall skill level is, is behind in football because that's the thing that I've done the less and, and the least. And so, for me, it's about repetition, and that's why I loved, again, back to Enid and all those places where all you did was call ball. Um, so it starts there for me, and then I love listening to everyone. I I wouldn't call myself a radio nerd, but there's some of that in there. And I just get a kick out of listening to every level of play-by-play. And so when I'm in the car, I'm searching for a game, and I'm always going to find a game. And in West Texas, you can find 15 games on the radio uh, when it's football season. So y- you listen to you listen to as many people as you possibly can. Even if I mean, you don't, you don't have to know them. You, 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 and it's even better if you do know them because you can talk about what they were thinking when they were calling that ball game. And that's another thing. Talking to other broadcasters is huge as well. But what I've enjoyed doing is listening to all levels and plucking things that I like from people. And noticing things that I don't like from people, so I'll hear something. I say, you know what, that that works for him. Maybe it might be terrible for him too. 
but I'm not going to use that. I, that's just not me. But you know what, man? When the way that he phrased that, that's that was cool. And it, you're gonna, you're going to learn from other people so much just by sitting and listening. Find a game to listen to. It, it does not matter who the person is. If it's somebody you like, great. If it's somebody you don't like, that that person you don't like might have a tremendous vocabulary and give you ways to describe things you've never thought of. So we've all taken things from other people. I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. We all are. But what I like to think of is we've listened to so much ball, and we've recognized what we like, that we just take a little piece from him, take a little piece from him. And next thing you know, you start to put it with your personality, and you've got your own way of calling things. You've got your own way of sounding, and you've got your own way of delivering. And I think those things are are, are really big. It, it, for me, it's repetition and, and taking sound from other people. I've never been a guy that writes stuff down that I'm going to say, um, even as far as going to the opens. I mean, some opens where I'm thinking, you know, I really have something I want to say. Uh, I, want, I want to make sure that I get this point delivered. I might sketch it down, type it out a little bit. But I've never been a guy to, to, to take that list of ways to describe passes and have that sitting there. It works great for some people, but that's not me. And I've never been that guy to turn an um, hourglass over when I need to say the score. Um, if if I'm, I, I have people that will listen to me and let me know, hey, hey, did I say the score enough? Yeah, or no. So you need to say the score more, which is, again, great title for your podcast uh, because it's the most important thing. And so that's what we that's what we got to do. We got to say the score and find your own way of saying things. But, uh, you know, for me, it's I, I feel confident in the repetitions that I've had that I don't need tools to help me out. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't need something listed here. It, it works great for other people, but I'm, I'm more of a gunslinger, let's go type guy. That's interesting. Obviously, I was joking when I jutted in and said, I came up with everything that I do by myself. But um, that kind of feeds right into one of the regular questions that I ask just about everyone. If you say you listen to this many people all the time, you just like to tune in randomly, who are some maybe below-the-radar people in your area that you enjoy listening to that my average listener would not have heard of? Well, um the the guy that again I I enjoy listening to Matt Pinto from from the Oklahoma City Thunder. You got you I mean everybody may know him, but I enjoy listening to Matt because of his ridiculous vocabulary. Um, he does such a good job of having that machine gun style. That's that's, that's what I'm a, that's what I'm a fan of is that descriptive machine gun style. I really enjoy listening to Matt Pinto. Uh, I think the guy in my previous area with the best vocabulary period is Bruce Howard at the University of Tulsa. Uh, that's hard to say from you know two rival schools, ORU and Tulsa, but it's also not because Bruce was tremendous in getting me my first job in, in the city of Tulsa and has been uh, nothing but a, really a broadcast legend in the state of Oklahoma. But that's a great, maybe if you're in, you know, 
in outlying areas or away from or just away from Tulsa. You might not have heard of Bruce Howard, but Bruce is really good at what he does, and I really enjoy his vocabulary in football. Uh, my guy, who doesn't do a lot radio, a lot of radio anymore, that just triggered a lot of my everything is is Chad McKee, who's tremendous at football. The the thing that bothers me about Chad is he's gone to where all the money is, and that's in TV. And he's on the Big 12 this week and on all the University of Oklahoma sports uh, that aren't football and men's basketball, and he does some of that stuff as well. But Chad McKee is immensely talented and a big part of the responsibility for getting me started. He, he, he listened to a horrid tape of mine and heard something in there, and, and next thing you know, he's taking a risk on me. I, I asked him, I said, how did you ever give me an opportunity? He's like, I heard something. I heard something in there. And uh, the guy that replaced me now at, at Oral Roberts, who I've become a good friend with, Adam Hildebrandt, is, uh, is going to be an up-and-coming star at ORU. I know you know Adam. And uh, those are some Oklahomans that you need to lend an ear to. A guy that's climbing uh, minor league baseball charts as, as well as, as Sean Teeman. He's a good friend of mine as well. So there's your kind of Oklahoma spin. And, of course, you got Dave Hunziker and Toby Rowland. It's a good broadcasting state. And now I'm uh, diving into the Texas realm. We are just about out of time, at least as far as We've already had an hour, and we should probably get you back up into your hotel with your family, as I believe you said you're in your car recording this, right? I'm in the car in the parking lot of the Clarion in Lubbock, Texas, (laughs) with a beautiful sunset going on outside. It's Uh, gorgeous. Last question I want to ask you. You followed Brian Haney, who you mentioned earlier. He took the University of Kansas job. He's a well-accomplished broadcaster. He's been on this podcast. I was able to talk to him a little bit. How difficult is it to follow someone who has set the bar that high with a specific style? I don't know. I, I I wasn't here when Brian was doing his thing. So now that Brian is gone, I mean, I, I just jump in and do my thing. I mean, all I can control is my my efforts and, and what I'm putting forth. So I, I wish... Brian, the best of luck. I know he's got a his he's got his dream job. He is he's probably nobody happier on earth than Brian Haney. But as far as like jumping in, I, it's not been an issue. I just say, hey, here I am. This is me, and I and I, I'm hoping and praying that it's good enough. And so for me, just I mean, you, obviously a lot of respect for Brian. But uh, when it came time to to jump in, that's that's what I did. It's it's really not been much of an issue at all. Excellent. If someone wanted to get a hold of you with any sort of a question or comment, how would they do so? Go to Twitter. That's that's my favorite way to do things, and it's my name is spelled. I have the worst radio name that's ever been created or ever uh, put forth, but it's uh, at Jeff Haxton. It's G E O F F H A X T O N. All right, Jeff, again, thank you for joining us here on the Say the Damn Score podcast. Thank you, Logan. Appreciate it. That is going to be it for the Say the Damn Score podcast here today. Again, we were visiting with Jeff Haxton. Make sure to, if you're not already subscribing, and we thank the people that do very much, to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, 
You can sign up for email updates on the webpage, saythedamnscore.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Radio underscore Logan. That's all for today. Remember, next time you're on the air, say the damn score just a little bit more.